Hello everyone, this is Pastor Damien. You're listening to Sermon Audio from New City, Orlando. At New City, we believe all of us need all of Jesus for all of life. For more resources, visit our website at newcityorlando.com. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In 2015, a survey done by the World Economic Forum said that 86% of respondents believe that we have a leadership crisis in the world today. Now let me give you a few, few different examples of what I mean by that. Regardless of your political persuasion, Our nation lacks a leader to unify us right now. We haven't had it for a long time. And so people uh, have said that we are more divided now than we ever have been since the Civil War. Uh, Another example would be the fact that we have these moral crises in the lives of leaders uh, outside the church for sure, but inside the church is where we feel it most acutely. Um, a, a related thing was that our senior pastor, Damien, was speaking with a professor of, a, uh, of our denomination's seminary, and this professor said something like, you know, it's unbelievable, we have more vacancies in the role of senior pastor in churches in our denomination than I've ever seen before. Nobody wants to lead a church. Nobody wants to fill that role. A study uh, showed that 72% of Gen Z wants to start something. They want to start a business, which is great. Entrepreneurship is really good. Uh, But who will lead the existing institutions when 72% of Gen Z wants to start something new instead? So we are in a crisis of leadership, but I want to submit that we're in a crisis of followership too. What I mean by that is we distrust authority. We just assume if somebody has authority, it has something to do with selfish ambition. We have lost the category of the creative use of power, and so all we have left is the coercive use of power. This even, it it even filters into parenting styles. Uh, My wife and I, with our first child, we did what's called baby-led weaning. And it was great. It worked super well. I used to make the joke that we're going to do baby-led parenting. And so if Augie doesn't want to clean his room, he doesn't have to. It's baby-led, whatever he wants to. But you all know nobody wants to be around the kid who had baby-led discipline. They are obnoxious and insufferable. But listen, even in the role of parenting, we we get a little bit concerned about how we use this God-given authority as parents. 
to shape and mold our children. I talked to a pastor this week who said that uh, the biggest issue he has with discipling the next generation to have a biblical understanding of sexual ethics and not only that, but, but what a man and a woman really is, according to scripture, is not the, not the next generation, it's the parents. Because they fear if they were to come down with some authoritative ruling like you're a boy or you're a girl, that they're gonna lose their kids. The parents are the problem because they don't know how to use power in a non-coercive way. There's no category for the creative use of power. And so because of this, we find ourselves with a crisis of followership. Now, another thing I would, I would add to this is that we live in a culture that, that valorizes everybody marching to the beat of their own drum. So what do you need leadership for? And, and this isn't all bad. Traditional culture said that there was, there was just one path to power, follow. If you're a woman, you do this. If you're a man, you do this. If you're a fill in the blank. Just really clear paths that that you had to live out. But modern culture says choosing your own path and insisting on it in the face of any opposition is the only way forward. Well, Christianity offers another way. It says that the best leaders are first faithful followers. Christianity basically offers that the people who you can trust the most are are the one who have been led down the path of God's own choosing. And so God's leadership will sometimes cut against the grain of societal norms, absolutely. But God's leadership will always cut against the grain and confront the control and the comfort idols of our own hearts. And so, in a crisis of leadership and in a crisis of followership, what do we do? Well, we do what renewal movements have always done. We go, we go, redig the old wells. We go back to the source. We, we turn to the text of scripture and we see how does God lead his people and we begin again from there. So if you have a Bible or a device, go ahead and get Exodus 13 in front of you. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22. I have one main point, which really is three points, but you'll see in a moment. And my main point is this, God leads us through the wilderness by faith in his presence. God leads us through the wilderness by faith in his presence. Let's look at this first point together, which is that God leads us through the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, look here. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Notice something, no sooner are they free that they are under the government and guidance of God. In other words, liberty did not mean autonomy. Liberty also did not mean tyranny. The freedom from Egypt for Israel in the Exodus, what that led to was that they would be under the wise eye and fatherly hand of God. That's what happens. As soon as they come out, Pharaoh lets the people go, God begins to guide them. And so you may have noticed in your own life, but certainly in the text here, that, that God doesn't really lead as the, clo- as the crow flies. In other words, if you were going to Google map your way out of Egypt, from Egypt to Canaan, uh, you would have never chosen the path that God took Israel. The path you would have chosen would have gone just out of Egypt into the north, kind of just under the Mediterranean Sea on this really well-known route that was well-traveled called uh, the Via Maris, the, the way of the sea. And, and it would have taken you through, uh, through these countries below the Mediterranean from Egypt to Canaan. You would have gotten there in about 10 days journey by foot. Israel's route took 40 years. Not only that, but the Via Maris would have had food and water for, 
for hungry and thirsty travelers. It would have been a well-known, a well-known route to go. It was the best way to go in every way except one. Israel wasn't ready for it. So look with me at verse 17. God says this, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God knows that leadership is about disappointing people at a rate they can handle. And so he leads them in a different direction. He doesn't lead them the way that they would expect, which is when disappointment comes. Instead, the way of the sea he knew was heavily garrisoned by Egyptian outposts. If they went that way, they would see war, and they weren't ready for war. And so God anticipated dangers that they could not see. And, and why this matters is, is because, like any good leader, God knows his people. And what I mean by this is that God is protecting the Israelites. They will go the way of the Philistines. At some point, they will go that way into the land of the Philistines. The Philistines themselves, the Canaanites, these other, these other people, Israel will go to battle with. They will see war with these people, but not yet. They're not ready yet. And so what I take this to mean is that God understands development. He, he recognizes the importance of maturity. He sees where you are, and he recognizes where you are and where you're not, and that that's okay. You notice he accommodates the Israelites. He says, listen, they won't be able to handle it. They'll change their minds and want to go back to Egypt if they go this way. So as a, as a wise leader who genuinely knows and loves and cares about his people, he's not going to lead them that way. He's going to bring them a different way. Because he knows what they can handle, and he knows what they can't handle. They may be, quote, equipped for battle externally, as verse 18 says, but they are not ready to see war internally, as verse 17 says. They cannot, their souls can't handle it. And so God will test them, yes. He will stretch them, yes, but he will never give them or you more than you can bear. And so where does God guide them? Well, look at verse 18 with me. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Throughout the story of scripture, God's way is through the wilderness. God's way is through the wilderness. The way of the wilderness always requires us to depend on God. It's a desert. It's a desert. And so at nighttime, there's no light or heat. In the daytime, there's no shade. There's no food. There's no water. There's no source of sustenance besides them to depend on God, to trust God. And so what God always does is he always leads his people into the wilderness. Why? To test them. Let me just tell you a quick story. Um, I spent the month of November just immersing myself in the book of Philippians. And, and, and by the time I was about halfway through, I just started praying that God would give me the, the gospel resilience that I saw that Paul had there. It's just incredible. And, and that became my prayer as I was spending this, this whole month, November, in the book of Philippians. Well, I get done with that November is over with the first weekend of December, which is last weekend, I have what would be best described as an illustration of Murphy's Law. Um, I get a gnarly stomach bug. Um, I miss out on a bunch of opportunities, fun things for, you know, the holiday season. Um, my lawnmower breaks, my microwave breaks, my car breaks. I mean, it was just like in a weekend. And so I roll into Tuesday morning when I meet with the guys in my circle and I was discouraged. And because that's the kind of place where I can disclose those kind of things and, and be really open and honest about what's going on in my life and in my heart, I did that. And the, and the men that are in my circle were kind in, re, in their response to me. And, and one of them offered uh, an insight from his own life. He said, you know, essentially, I wonder if this, is, if this is testing, if God is testing you. 
And I remembered uh, another friend of mine who, who was a pilot. And this pilot, uh, this friend of mine told me that when he was training for his pilot's license, they would be up in the air and his instructor would just kill the engine mid-flight and say, what are you going to do? My friend said, his first thought was always like, strangle you. But then he's like, but then I don't know how to land, so that's not going to work. But, but, but this was this test, and they did it over and over and over again because there's a difference between a summative test and a formative test. A summative test is what you take in school. Hopefully, those of you who are in school just finished finals. Those are summative tests. Hopefully, you're done with them and you get to enjoy the break. But formative tests are not about looking back at what you've learned and seeing if you really learned it. Formative tests are about looking forward to the future and seeing if you can, if you can become the kind of person who can face the future. What I was going through was a formative test. I realized just from this slight reframe from the, the, the guy in my circle who offered that to me that, oh, I'd been asking God to teach me gospel resilience and then he does the very next weekend. And I didn't realize that it was a formative test until I had it reflected back to me from a kind and caring friend. And so why do I tell you all of this? It's because God will lead us into these wilderness seasons in order to form us in certain ways. I realized that, that my weekend wilderness, quote unquote, was God's design to answer my prayer for gospel resilience, but I needed my circle in order to come to that realization. And so some of you are in wilderness seasons right now. They've been longer than a weekend. And you're struggling to see what God could possibly be up to in this because you, you feel like you're getting nowhere. And so my question, this is very gentle, I ask it this way, is who are your people? Who are your people that you show up for and that show up for you? Because I needed that. That was essential for me. And, and then uh, the other thing I would do is I would, I would want to draw your attention to why God leads people into the wilderness. A little bit later in the book of Exodus, we'll get here. Exodus 19 verse 4, God describes it like this. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In other words, God's destination was not Canaan. God's destination for Israel was himself. There was a real threat here because if you're like me, you think, okay, God just got them out of Egypt, the world's superpower. He can surely get them the way of the sea up to Canaan, right? Like military outposts are nothing compared to what they face in Egypt. Yeah, you're right. But God knew that it would, be a, it would be a bad thing if he fought them all the way to the promised land and they got there but lost God. And so what, what he says is, I am bringing you out of Egypt to bring you to myself, first and foremost. And he's willing to lead you into the wilderness in order to bring you to himself. That's the kind mercy of God. He's willing to do this. And so some of you are thinking, the way that I'm on just seems long and tedious. Like, does it have to be this way? There's a much more direct route to what I want. I know this. And yet God seems to be taking his sweet old time circuitous roots moving you through all these random places and, and the reality is, is that God wants to lead you to himself. He wants to lead you to himself before he brings you into this exodus out of your singleness or out of the job that you're in right now or out of your depression. What if God had a bigger scope, he had a bigger picture in mind for what he's doing in your life than merely solving those issues? Those are not small issues. But compared to God leaning in and saying, hey, I'm bringing you through the wilderness to bring you to myself and, and looking at you and saying, 
your ways are not my ways, of course you can't understand what I'm up to right now. I see that it hurts you. I know that you're feeling the bear, bearing the weight of this right now. But I need you to trust me. I need you to rely less on what your eyes can see and I need you to listen to my voice and hear me. Follow me by faith right now. And that's the second point, which is that God leads us by faith. Look at verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. This seems like an interruption in the middle of the story, like a non sequitur. We're talking about leaving and going these different ways and it's just like, don't forget about Joe's bones. When the Bible does that, slow down, pay attention. It's meant to kind of catch you off guard a little bit. It's meant to throw you and, and have you look a little bit more closely. Um, there's a book called leadership, The Leadership Challenge by a couple of researchers, Kozis and Posner, and, and they study leadership across many organizations and around the globe, and, and they essentially distill their findings into this book on leadership. And their first chapter, and they belabor this point over and over and over again, is this, that credibility is the foundation of leadership. Credibility is the foundation of leadership. And they say, if you want to know what credibility looks like in action, it looks like this, doing what you say you will do. If people are going to follow somebody, they have to believe that that person's going to do what they will say that they will do. And so when we find ourselves here and we're, we're talking about Joseph and his bones and all this stuff, we have to remember that Joseph's coffin was a silent witness for 400 years about the promises of God. 400 years, Joseph's coffin stood there witnessing the fact that God would do what he said he would do. And so this is not a small point that, that they talk about this because even though your wilderness season right now seems very long, and I'm not about to relativize your suffering because it's not 400 years, like it's a legitimate amount of time. What I think is so important is that although God's promises may delay, they never decay. They never grow old. They never expire. And that's what Joseph's Bones is here to tell us is that 400 years later, God's promise is being fulfilled that God would visit his people and bring them up out of Egypt to the promised land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Joseph's story is actually really helpful because Joseph, if you remember from when we went through Genesis, he had a dream when he was 17 years old that he would be on a path to greatness. But he wouldn't get there till he was 30. And he spent the next 13 years in successive descents down into the pit before God ascended him, lifted him up, and gave him authority over the whole known world at that time when he was 30 years old. And so Joseph's actually a really good picture of how God works by leading people through the wilderness. Because Joseph had that himself, but, but because of Joseph's trusting God through that season, he learned to trust God's, God's timing to believe his promises, to know that he was faithful. And so the text is here saying that it was great faith that caused Joseph to say, hey, solemnly swear to me that you will not leave my bones in Egypt when you come and are led out of this place like God promised you. And so we're drawn back there to see Joseph as a picture of the kind of leadership that God has in the life of his people. But I think Joseph's there for another reason as well. For those of us who are not in a wilderness season right now, but actually are in a season that tempts us to think we're in the promised land already, 
Like things are going well, relatively speaking. Like you just arrived at something significant and, and you're like, you know what, I, I'm actually doing really well. Sermons on sufferings don't really resonate right now. Listen, Joseph reached the pinnacle of privilege and power and pleasure that the known world could offer him. He was the, the prince of Egypt. He was the top dog. And yet he still believed, my bones don't belong here. I was made for somewhere else. I was made for a land that was promised by God. A better country, Hebrews 11 puts it. This is not my home. And as soon as I start making this my home, I will forget that God has actually made promises that he will fulfill in due time. And so brothers and sisters, there are good, good gifts from God to us here and now. And every one of them is meant to be a signpost pointing us to the there and then where God himself will be our promised land because the dwelling of God will be with man. And so that brings us to the final point, which is that God leads us with his presence. He leads us with his presence. Look with me at verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Something so beautiful happening here. The conquering power of the exodus is now the comforting presence of God's people. The, the same God who brought darkness over the whole land in the ninth plague is now illuminating their way through the wilderness. In the desert, in the wilderness, there's no shade by day and so God himself becomes their covering as a pillar of cloud. In the wilderness, there is no light and there is no heat at night and so God himself becomes their fire, their light and their heat as a pillar of fire. You see, the conquering power of the Exodus is now the comforting power in the wilderness. And so nowhere in Scripture does God promise to airlift us out of the wilderness. Everywhere in Scripture, God promises to parachute into our wilderness to be with us there. That's what we see happening in the text. As a good leader, God goes first. The text begins and ends, verses 20 through 22, with, And the Lord went before them, and the Lord went before them. He goes first. And so that's significant because that's the testimony of everyone who perseveres patiently through the wilderness. They say something like, he was there all along. Not only was he there with me, but he was going before me, leading me. Even if I couldn't see, even if I couldn't make it out, it's, it's true, it's true to my experience. God doesn't just go with us, he goes before us. And so what is the pillar in the, pillar of cloud and pillar of fire look like for us today? I'm going to give you a a few examples. Uh, These are numbers, ways in which God shows us signs of his presence with his people. We in our tradition call these the ordinary means of grace. The first one is the sacraments, and I'm going to talk about that one in a moment when we come to the table. But the second one is maybe a little bit surprising, which is the society of the church. So what I mean by that is a visible, tangible evidence that God is with you and going before you is the person sitting next to you. You see, God works through community like this. And so I want to ask you to to answer that question again. Who are the people that I show up for 
Who are the people that I am a tangible sign of God's presence and leadership in their life? And who are the people who show up for you in that way? One of the most important questions, we'll keep asking that of you over and over and over again here at New City, which is why we would say that we long for you to be a part of a community and a circle here at New City. It's why we say things like, you've never really been a part of this congregation, this community, until you're in a community and in a circle. We desire that for you because you need to have people who will be for you tangible signs like the pillar of fire, like the pillar of cloud in your life that God is with you and for you and he goes before you. I told you the story of my circle to say, I need this. You need it too. The third one, that I'll show, so, so I said the sacrament, the society of the church, the third one is the scriptures. We, we all know the famous Psalm 119 verse that, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does that imply? It means that life is primarily one of wandering in the darkness. Is that your experience? It's mine in a lot of ways. And so the Bible opened up, meditated on, trusted, lived out by faith is this source of light like the pillar of fire that goes before Israel to provide light and heat. There's few people who have led through meditating on God's word uh, quite as well or quite as much as a man named Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper, some of you know that name. He was born in 1837. And, and like many great men, he had significant flaws. So that's important to say. But he was a brilliant theologian and statesman in other ways. And so just in his life, he was elected as a member of the Dutch Parliament. He founded a newspaper, a trade union, the Free University of Amsterdam. This dude's a theologian, by the way. He's not a politician, at least by training. His career culminated as becoming the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. Some of you are, you don't like me talking about the Netherlands because they knocked us out of the World Cup. I get it. The Lord will meet you in that wilderness. You'll be okay. And so he ascended to power. The culmination of his political career was the prime minister of the Netherlands. But while those external accomplishments were really significant, um, something even more significant was after he died, it became, a, it became apparent that he wrote a devotional meditation every single week of his life for 40 years, culminating in 2,000 devotions that he, that he transcribed himself. These were ways in which he kept his heart nurtured on the presence of God in the insanity of what it's like to be in public office. And so 110 of those got collected into a book called To Be Near Unto God. I would commit it to you. It's a great devotional. It's all on Psalm 73, 28, which says, it is good for me to draw near to God. And why I think this matters is because Kuyper, a leader, and I said we're, we're in a crisis of leadership this, this leader, great leader of his nation in many ways was sustained by a continual feeding on the presence of God with him. And verse 21 says, the Lord went before them to lead them along the way. This is the kind of presence that we need. This is what leaders and followers need if we're gonna come out of this crisis of leadership, this crisis of followership. The time of year we're in right now, this Advent season, building towards Christmas, um, there's actually a really cool parallel here. If you notice that God led the people of Israel by night through this pillar of fire, it might remind you of the, the well-known story of the wise men being led by night by a star that goes before them that led them to the Christ, the newborn baby Jesus. And, and so in a similar way, um, when Jesus steps on the scene, his fundamental call is, follow me. 
follow me. Take me as your leader. Take me as somebody who you will get in behind and go where I go. But Jesus, as I said a moment ago, the the most trustworthy leaders are first faithful followers. Jesus was that as well. In Matthew 14, Luke 4, I'm sorry, Matthew 4, Luke 4, um, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. And where you and I fail our tests, Jesus was faithful in all ways. And, And all of that matters because now Jesus looks at you and me and he says, I am the way. In other words, it's, it's not the way of the Philistines, the, the Via Maris, the way of the sea. It's not even the way of the wilderness. It is Jesus himself who's put forward to us as the way, the path along which God leads us. What does that actually mean? Well, it first and foremost means that, that Jesus, unlike Israel, did not change his mind when he saw the war with death he was about to fight. Jesus was unmoved despite the fact that he plunged into darkness for us in order that he might be a pillar of fire for the world. Jesus was led into death for us so that we could trust him as a faithful leader to lead us into life. And so the first thing is is that Jesus goes before us. Hebrews calls him our forerunner. Where he goes, we go. But there's another way in which Jesus is our leader. And that is that the path of Jesus' life is the path of your life if you're in Jesus. There's this beautiful scene at the end of John, John 21, where Peter is restored by Jesus. And, and Jesus says to Peter something like this, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And there's a parenthetical reference here. It says, this was to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And then Jesus' last words to him there are, follow me. In other words, you're going to go to death, Peter. And, and I want you to follow me into it. And, and so reflecting on this, um, Henry Nouwen in his book, In the Name of Jesus, which is a Reflections on Christian Leadership, says it like this. The world says, when you were young, you were dependent and could not go where you wanted But when you grow old, you'll be able to make your own decisions and go your own way and control your own destiny. That's the world's picture of maturity. But he says, Jesus has a different vision of maturity. This is how he summarizes Jesus' definition of maturity. Maturity is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. That's actually the best kind of leaders. The leaders who are willing to be led where they would rather not go. Because it means that they cannot exert their coercive power because they submit before they make others submit. And so what Jesus is after is he's inviting us to become childlike. He's inviting us to place all of our being into the very hands of God and allow God to lead us into unknown, undesirable, and even painful places. And he promises not only his presence, but that he will go before us and that he will lead us there. In May, my wife and I went to Sedona, Arizona, and we did a few different hikes. And one of the hikes we did was this one called, we were trying to find this thing called the Subway Cave. And in order to get there, you had to go off the beaten path. And, and so you had to kind of follow some trail markers that weren't super well marked. And, and so um, I think I'm actually a pretty good pretty good at orienteering. I'm, I'm good at kind of navigating things like that. I think so, at least. And so we just kind of keep trudging forward and we're getting further and further away from what looks like where we should be. 
And so we kind of wander for a little while and then we eventually have to do the inevitable, which is to backtrack to the last place where we knew where we were. And right when we got there, we intersected with somebody. This guy walks up, he's like, hey, are you looking for the subway cave? We said, yeah, he's like, I was just there a couple, a couple weeks ago. Follow me and I'll show you the way. So we follow this guy and it wasn't, it wasn't super easy. It was, uh, and it wasn't uh, even easy to get to the subway cave. There was more challenges ahead of us still, but we followed someone who knew the way. And so what happened was in, in my wilderness wandering, it took me uh, realizing that I maybe didn't know best before I was willing to be led by another. And so likewise, God is willing to lead you through the wilderness by faith in his presence in order to show you, hey, my ways are greater. They're higher than your ways. Maybe trust me. And then he sends Jesus because Jesus is the way to God because he's the only one who has come from God and knows how to get us back there. And so Jesus says to us this morning, he says, follow me. I'll show you the way. I know the way. Be led by me. I'm the only one who can lead you back to God because I've been there myself. On his deathbed, a colleague asked Abraham Kuyper, he said, "Um, do you want me to tell the people that God has been your refuge and strength to the end? In an almost inaudible whisper, he said, yes, altogether yes. What that is, is it's the promise that Jesus offers us, which is the presence of God as our refuge's strength for all who belong to him. If you would, join with me in prayer. Father, we pray as Jesus himself taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We want to be led by you. You make known to us the way of life. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Even when we wander in the darkness, you say, darkness is not dark with me, it is as light. Your right hand holds us and you guide us and you lead us. Would you guide us with your counsel even now? Would you grasp us, hold us, lead us even to glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.